0: will, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, for those of you who are visiting, we welcome. We're going through the book of James verse by verse, and we find ourselves in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and I've entitled this message, Taming the Tongue. Do you struggle with taming your tongue? I was reading a story about a woman in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, who basically during the Christmas season, was in her house and she was singing Christmas carols and her elderly husband reached out to give her a kiss and she bit off his tongue, if you can imagine that. Well, evidently she was having a mental episode because she went outside after doing that and she began to sing Christmas carols. Well, of course, him being in shock, he called the police, he could barely talk. They came over and they ended up arresting the woman because of what she had done. Have you ever wished that your tongue would be bitten off, metaphorically speaking, because of some of the things that you have said? In fact, the tongue is a metaphor for our words. When I was growing up, I would hear my mom often say, Michael, do not give me your lip. Well, my lip represented my words or my speech. And so when the Bible talks about the tongue, particularly in James chapter 3, it's talking about our words. And Jesus said, giving a diagnosis of our words, he said, our words are a tattletale on our heart. In other words, what's on the inside will inexorably come out on the outside. He said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In fact, J. Vernon McGee, that well-known country preacher, said, whatever is in the well will come up in the bucket. And so you could tell a person by their words. And, you know, the Bible says once we become Christians, God transforms our speech. Some of you prior to salvation, maybe you were a cussing sailor. Maybe you engaged in all kinds of filth. But now that we're saved, the Bible says we're to present our tongues, our words, as instruments for God. Listen to what Romans chapter 6 says. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. And do not go on presenting members of your body, that would be the tongue, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members, that would include the tongue, as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, now that I'm a believer, my mouth, my tongue, my words are to be sanctified for Jesus Christ. Exactly what words are we to avoid? I think we all know instinctively, but… The Scripture talks about a slanderous tongue, we're to avoid that, a critical tongue, a profanity-laced tongue, a lying tongue, a blasphemous tongue, a demeaning tongue, a negative tongue, a not speaking up when I should tongue, an angry tongue, and then, of course, we all battle a gossiping tongue. I'm reminded of the three pastors that decided to go out on a boat They went on a rowboat, and they wanted to talk about their struggles and their temptations. And one of the pastors said, you know, my temptation is when I'm serving communion, at the end of communion, I want to drink from the chalice all the rest of the wine. I struggle with the temptation of drinking. The other minister said, that's not my temptation. My temptation is I struggle with lust. You know, there's a lot of beautiful women out there, and I really struggle with lust in my mind. Well, the other minister didn't say anything and all of a sudden he grabs the oars and he begins to rigorously try to get back to shore and they said, wait a minute, you didn't tell us what your struggle is. He said, oh, my struggle is gossip and I can't wait to tell everybody what you just told me. (laughs) Now there's also the positive. Here are the areas that we're to cultivate with our tongue, a thankful tongue, an edifying tongue, a healing tongue, a graceful tongue a reproving tongue, a timely tongue, a truthful, honest tongue, a wise tongue, and a praising tongue. I guess you could summarize this, the negative we are to put off and the positive we're to cultivate in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. The Apostle Paul says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That word unwholesome is used of rotten fruit. That's the negative. We all struggle with it, We're not perfect at it, but we are to avoid it. And then conversely, he says, we are to only speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. We are to encourage other people. We are to strengthen other people with our words. Now back to James chapter 3. Why is James introducing the subject of the tongue here? There's always a context. And the context is this. Many of the Jewish people wanted to be teachers. It was a position of clout. If you were a rabbi, if you were a teacher, that was a position of notoriety. You were well-known. You were well-respected. And so some of them rushed into that position for the notoriety. And James says, time out. You don't want to rush into being in the position of a teacher. Hence, he pens chapter 3 of James. But if you read this epistle, you will find out that there was rancor going on within the congregation, there was backbiting, there was judging, there was gossiping, there was slandering. It's not unlike a lot of churches today. And so James has to write in order to correct this particular problem. Now, as we embark upon these 12 verses, James is going to give us four ways that you and I can tame the tongue. And let me just say this, we're never going to be perfect at this, I struggle with it, you struggle with it, but God wants us to tame our tongue. The first principle that you and I must employ if we're going to tame our tongues is this. We must understand that we are accountable to God for our words. We are accountable to God for our words. That should serve as a motivation and an incentive. Look at verse 1, if you will, of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. James is saying here, look, don't rush into the position of being a teacher, whether it's a pastor, or a Sunday school teacher, or a small group leader, whatever it is. In that day, it was a rabbi who wanted all the clout and notoriety. He says, don't rush into that role. He says, because you are going to incur a stricter judgment. Now, teachers will be judged more strictly. I'm going to be held to a higher standard than many of you. And the reason why is because teachers impact with their words. Teachers impact with their doctrine. Teachers can influence people. We've seen this historically. That's why false teachers in Second Peter chapter 2, the book of Jude, they are condemned categorically. Why? Because they influence and corrupt other people. And furthermore, teachers have to represent what they speak. In other words, I don't, I'm not a perfect person, but you would hope that I would be living out what I'm telling you to do. And so teachers are going to be held to a higher standard, a stricter judgment. You say, well, wait a minute, Mike. This verse says here that teachers will be held to a higher standard, a stricter judgment. It doesn't say all believers, to the contrary. Notice it says a stricter judgment. That implies that everyone is going to be judged for their words. It's just that teachers are going to be judged in a more strict fashion. So yes, we all are held accountable for our words. You say, well, when are we going to be held accountable? On the day of judgment. Now, as believers, we're not going to stand before God and He's not going to cast us in the lake of fire because we used certain words or we didn't do what we should have done. No, as believers we're secure in Jesus Christ. We are gonna stand not before the great white throne judgment which is for non-believers, we're gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat for evaluation. And God is going to evaluate what we said on the day of judgment. How he's going to do that, I don't know. Is he going to parse every word? Probably not. But Jesus, in his omniscience, is going to be able to evaluate us. We see this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is having a debate with the religious establishment. They have accused him of doing his miracles by the power of Satan, Beelzebub. And here is what Jesus says in an indictment against the religious establishment. He said, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. In other words, look at the fruit in a person's life, and you could tell who that person is. And then he lowers the boom on the religious establishment. He said, you guys are a bunch of snakes, you brood of vipers. In other words, their nature was satanic. How can you say, or how can you who are evil, say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And then Jesus says this, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Ouch. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You say, well, how is it that our words reveal whether or not we're acquitted or condemned, because listen, our words are a tattletale on our heart. In other words, the condition of the person will ev- eventually manifest itself in one speech. And so all Jesus has to do is look at one's words, and he can trace that back to the kind of person you are. Again, not in isolation, because if someone was to judge Mike Nimmer based on the things he has said, people could judge me. It's the direction of your life. It is not the perfection of your life. But Jesus makes it clear here in Matthew 12 that we're all going to give an account on the day of judgment. I taught at a Christian high school, ninth and 10th graders. That was my baptism of fire. When I graduated college, I got a call. I was working at a hospital, and it was my former Bible teacher. I went to school at Westminster Christian High School in Miami, Florida, and it was a PCA Presbyterian school. And when I graduated college, the head of the Bible department called me. I knew him because I used to go over to his house for Bible studies. He said, Mike, look, we have a vacancy in the Bible department. The Bible teacher that was there left his wife and ran off with another man. Would you like to follow? Uh, I was like, I'm not sure about that. But I knew the Lord was opening that door for me. So I took the position, and man, I'll tell you what, the Lord did some great things. I was green. I didn't know what I was doing. And every year when I would teach Philippians or James or basic Bible doctrine, the principal of the school or the guy who was the head of the Bible part, my friend, would come in, not give me a heads up and they would sit in the classroom, and they would just listen. You talk about unnerving. And you know what they were doing? They were evaluating my teaching. They were evaluating my words. They were evaluating my speech. That's exactly what God is going to do. He's going to evaluate us. Why? Because our words represent who we are. And at death, we will be evaluated. In fact, there's a tombstone in England that says this, and I love it. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, Who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Listen, on that judgment day, we're gonna hold our tongue. So, the first principle, if you want to tame your tongue, is realize that you're going to be held accountable for your words. And listen, there are people today that destroy churches with their tongue. You don't think God's going to hold them accountable? Again, if you're a Christian, not for condemnation, but evaluation and rewards. There's a second principle, if you and I are going to tame the tongue, and that is this. Remember, your tongue is small, but it's powerful. Your tongue is small, but it is very powerful. It can be used for great things, for encouraging things. It could also be used for destructive purposes. For example, in Proverbs 18.21, it says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, it can be used for bad death, or it could be used for good life. He says in Proverbs 12.18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bone. Proverbs 15.1, we all know this one. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you're married, you understand this. You say something you shouldn't say, you know what it can do? It can generate an argument in the marriage. On the other hand, if you respond very kindly, oh, I'm sorry, dear, that you had a rough day. Can I do the dishes for you? Your wife will probably go, did I marry this man? Now, James is going to use six illustrations to show us that the tongue is small, but it is powerful. Six illustrations. Illustration number one, the human body. Notice, if you will, verse 2 of James chapter 3. He said, we all stumble in many ways. In other words, we all sin in many ways. If anyone does not sin or stumble in what he says, he is a mature man, here it is, who is able to control his whole body. In other words, the tongue is very small. Your words are somewhat ostensibly insignificant, but they can control the whole human body. That's the analogy. The tongue is small, but it can control a human body. You say, in what way? You ever heard people that are negative all the time? God bless you if you're married to one. People that are negative, oh, I'm, uh, I'm always sick. Oh, life is terrible. Oh, so-and-so. They're always negative. You don't want to be around them. You know what? That affects their physical body. Or take, for example, Jerry Springer. I don't watch the Jerry Springer show. Have you ever watched it? Maybe I watched one episode just to see what it's about. But Jerry Springer, he died recently, by the way, but he brings these people on that are basically toxic. And you know what? It starts off with inflammatory words. And before you know it, it goes beyond speech. The human body gets involved. They stand up. Who are you to say that? And then the next thing you know, the human body is picking up a chair, and it's hurling it at somebody. You see, it started with words. James says, the tongue is small, but it can affect the human body. Negativity can affect your health, and also it can affect what you do. There's a second illustration that he shows us. Even though the tongue is small, it's powerful. That is a bit in a horse, a bit in a horse. Notice verse 3. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal or the whole horse. In other words, a bit is very small, but yet it controls such a large animal. I don't know anything about bits because I've done some horseback riding, but I'm not into horses. But here's what I found out. There are 16 different types of bits And you say, what's the purpose of a bit? Well, one person said this, quote, horses naturally have a toothless area in their mouths, at the upper corner of their lips, and the bit rests across the gums and the tongue. When the rider uses the reins, the bit applies pressure to the tongue, gums, and sometimes to the roof of the mouth as well, communicating different instructions to the horse, end quote. His point is, The bit is very small, but it controls the horse. Your tongue is small, but it is very powerful in that it can do damage or it can uplift others. There's a third illustration that he gives that the tongue is small but powerful, a ship and a rudder. Notice, if you will, verse 4, and consider ships. In his day, you know, ships were big, but they're not like today. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And you see the picture up there that in ancient days they had this small rudder, and yet it controlled such a massive ship. Now today, we have huge ones. Like take this cruise ship, for example. It is the largest cruise ship. I think it's five or six times larger than the Titanic. It has 20 stories on it. It has all kinds of pools. It's like literally a city on water. And you know what? It's controlled by propellers. Now, the propellers are a lot bigger than a small rudder, but listen, compared to the size of the ship, you see, something small can control something so big. Your tongue is small, but you can assassinate your child's self-esteem. Your tongue is small, it could end your marriage. Your tongue is small, it can cause damage within your job. There's a fourth illustration that the tongue is small but powerful, and that would be an individual and their boasting. An individual in their boasting. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's bombastic, it's pompous, it's arrogant. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Who is that? Muhammad Ali. Or take, for example, Donald Trump. Whether you like him or you don't, we shall overcome, right? Donald Trump was a boaster, always boasting about himself. His point is the tongue is small, but listen, it makes great boasts about who it is and what it can accomplish. He gives another illustration that the tongue is small but powerful, and that would be a spark and a fire, a spark and a fire. Notice if you will, verse 5, the NIV I think says it best, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a what? small spark. Think about this. Somebody's smoking a cigarette, they throw it out, it lands in an area that's dry. That little cigarette causes all kinds of forest fires or a spark from a lightning hit. It can cause all kinds of damage. He says in verse 6, speaking of a fire, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Think about the evil that comes out of a person's mouth. You want to see it? Look at our media today. And by the way, this is not limited just to our words. How about our tweets? How about our Facebook posts? I got to be careful because I like to debate people online. I get in discussions with atheists and agnostics and people that are scoffers. And you know what? I have to, there are many times where I've typed something and I hit the back button. I don't want to say it that way. Not profanity. But sometimes you could say things wrong. He says the the tongue is a fire. It is an evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It can cut a niche for your life. And look what he says. It is set on fire by hell itself. Sometimes Satan gets a hold of our tongue and uses it. And you don't think people in the American church have been used by Satan to destroy churches? Something small like a little spark, can do such damage. I remember when I was growing up in Miami, I got in trouble. I was six, seven years old, and I found a book of matches that looked like that. And I saw this car parked on the side of a street near a major thoroughfare, and the window was down, and I was mischievous. So my brother Jeff was with me, and I said, Jeff, let's uh, take these matches. And so I took the match, and I'd flip it like this, and so I flipped it into the car, flipped another one into the car, flipped another one into the car. Car caught on fire. My brother says, I don't remember this. He says, Mike, you don't remember the car exploded and came off the ground. I said, Jeff, I don't remember that. I took off running, me and my brother. I was about a block away, got to the house and went in the backyard. I saw the black billow going up in the air, heard the fire trucks. My mom came home. My mom is a Lebanese woman, full-blooded. My mom is very, uh, you know, she disciplined with a rod of iron. She came home and she said, Michael, Jeffrey, did you see that car on fire? And I looked at her like this. And my mom knew. She said, did you do that, Michael? She knew I was guilty. Man, she tore me up. My mom didn't abuse me, but my mom was a disciplinarian. I don't remember what happened, all the insurance stuff with that, but listen, that small match did that kind of damage. Or take, for example, the 1871 fire in Chicago. You've heard about this? Supposedly, a woman, her cow, knocked over a lantern, and that little lantern did so much damage in the city of Chicago in 1871. In fact, they estimate that 17,500 buildings were destroyed, 300 people ended up dead, and 125,000 people were left homeless. Why? Because of that little fire. See, James says the tongue is small, but it's powerful. It's like a spark in a fire. Well, he gives one other illustration to show us that the tongue is small but powerful, a snake in its poison. A snake and its poison. Notice if you will, verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Here it is full of deadly poison. Now, I hate snakes. But I Googled this week the top poisonous snakes around the world. And you know what the number one is? It is called the inland taipan. The inland taipan, be of good cheer, it's not here in Ohio, it's in Australia. The inland taipan is probably the most poisonous snake. 44 milligrams of its poison can kill 289 people. You say, well, how much is 44 milligrams? It's like that little aspirin up there. That's how much deadly venom it has. And James says the tongue is like a a snake. It's like venom. It's small, but it can do a lot of destructive things. And so James is making the point if you and I are going to tame our tongues, we need to understand that the tongue is small, but it is very, very Powerful. It can do great things. It can help other people, but it can also destroy other people. And what illustrations does he use? The human body, a bit and a horse, a ship and a rudder, an individual and their boasting, a spark and a fire, and a snake and its poison. So let me ask you this morning how are you using your tongue? It is small but powerful. Now listen, some of you struggle with this. We all struggle with our mouths. Some of us struggle more and here's why. Even though we know it's powerful, we struggle because we were raised in a home maybe where our parents were very critical. Maybe they were caustic. Maybe they had a Gillette tongue. And so they were always demeaning. They always put you down. And you know what? We tend to reproduce what we are modeled. And so we bring that into our marriage, we bring that into our raising our kids, we bring that into our jobs, and you know what? We can reproduce that, and we have to retrain our thinking because our words are the byproduct of our thinking. And so some of you may struggle with this more than others. Some of you just don't say anything. One way or the other, good or bad, God wants us to use our speech for good. Now listen, there are times to be critical, there are times to point out things, But listen, we want to be instruments that heal. I was reading a story about a girl who was born with a cleft palate. She had a crooked nose, crooked teeth. All the kids made fun of her. She was a young girl. She felt unloved, didn't feel like anybody cared about her. Well, she had a second grade teacher who was well known to be a loving teacher. And the teacher would do an experiment every year or to test the kid's hearing. Here's what she would do. She would have the kids stand on the other side of the classroom And she would say something or ask them a question, and they would have to repeat back what she said. Like, for example, what color is your dress? And they would say whatever they were going to say, and that was a test to see if their hearing was okay. When this little girl Mary came up that had the cleft palate, here is what the teacher whispered to the girl that she was to repeat back. The teacher said to this girl with the cleft palate, I wish you were my daughter. And the girl said that changed her life because she felt unloved. And again, sometimes we don't realize the import of our words, sometimes a timely word for someone who's hurting. Sometimes we don't know what people are going through, and we speak words of life into them. That really helps them. On the other hand, sometimes we can say stuff that can damage people. And I like to tell you, I've been perfect raising my daughter's My marriage, I haven't been perfect. There are times where I've had to repent and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And so we got to realize that the tongue is small, but it's very, very powerful. There's a third principle he gives here if you and I are going to tame our tongues, and that is this. Seek God's help despite the difficulty of controlling your tongue. Seek God's help in spite of the difficulty of controlling your tongue. James is going to tell us here the tongue is impossible to control. You can't tame it perfectly. Notice what he says in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. We all sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect or mature man. Listen, we're all going to mess up with our mouths. We're all going to mess up. I've, I've spent time with God in the Word and in prayer. I've had a great quiet time. And then I'll come out of my quiet time and I'll say something that will generate an argument with my wife. I'm like, well, "How did that happen?" Or you've had a great quiet time or church service. You leave here to go out to eat somewhere, somebody cuts you off and and you want to you want to bring it back in and you can't. And you're like, "How did that happen?" Listen, the tongue is difficult to control. He says you're perfect if you can control it and never say anything bad. Look what he says in verse 7, every sea creature, reptile, bird, animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. You've been to shows before, you've been to circuses where they'll tame a lion, they'll do all kinds of stuff with elephants. One of the guys that I love, you've seen his movies, now deceased, a guy named Steve Irwin. Remember Steve Irwin? That guy was a live wire, if you've never seen that movie, you've got to see it. But this guy would tame animals. He would do all kinds of stuff. You know, you've seen people charm these cobra snakes before. He's saying, look, mankind has the ability to tame animals. They have the gifting. But notice what he says about the tongue. On the other hand, he says in verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. You see, it's impossible to be perfect with our tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, let me tell you what James is not saying. He's not saying you can't get your words under control. But it is impossible to be perfect with your speech. That's why I said principle number three, if you want to tame your tongue, even though the tongue is difficult to control, you need to ask God for help. You'll never be perfect, but even though we cannot tame the tongue perfectly, we can cry out to God and say, God, I need you to help me control my tongue. And I've had people say to me, look, I used to be this way prior to salvation. I cussed like a sailor. I would tear people to shreds. But you know what? God has redeemed my tongue and he's transformed it. And I'm not what I used to be. I'm not where I should be, but I'm not where I used to be. Maybe that's your testimony. You say, well, Mike, what can I do? I know it's impossible to be perfect with my mouth, but with the help of God, what are some principles that I can do to get a hold of my tongue? Let me give you some suggestions. Number one, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible says, walk in the power of the Spirit. Have a Spirit-controlled tongue. Secondly, avoid too many words. Ouch. Proverbs 10.9. Now listen, we all speak a lot of words. In fact, I was looking this up. They say women speak, on average, 20,000 words a day with gusts up to (laughs) 30,000, whereas men speak about 7,000 words a day. The average person speaks enough words to fill 20 single-spaced type pages a day. Mouths crank out enough words to fill, listen to this, two books of 300 pages each month, 24 books each year, and 1,200 books in 50 years. We spend majority of our life talking. We speak a lot of words. Fewer words is better. Now, that doesn't mean you don't talk a lot. In my In in God's calling for my life, I'm gonna talk a lot. But again, we need to weigh it. Here's another thing control what you allow in your mind. Why? Because listen, what you allow in your mind will eventually come out. Think and listen before you speak. A lot of times we don't think through before we say, we're very impulsive. Here's another thing. Watch your influences. Listen, when I was in high school, I got around my buddies, and they were throwing the F-bomb here and this word here, and you know what? Mike Nimmer began to do that. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's the same thing with the positive. Be intentional about speaking hope and encouragement. Now, listen, for some of you, this is difficult. And I understand, maybe it's your home life, but it's very difficult for you to encourage your kids or your spouse, go out of your way to do that. I wish I would do it more. I'm working on it. Like this morning, I got up and I opened my drawer and I noticed I had a lot of fresh underwear in there. And I said to my wife, I said, "Hun, thank you for doing the laundry on a consistent basis. I said, I appreciate you doing that. Now, I'm not saying that to commend myself, but I'm saying there's little things that we can point out as spouses we don't do. Same with our kids. Do we point out the positive? You know, you could come home and negative all the time. Why don't you do this? Hey, you didn't get A's on this, you didn't do this. And you know what? We don't point out the positive. It takes effort for some of us to point out the positive. Watch your triggers. You got to know what your triggers are because listen, when your buttons get pushed, guess what? Some of you, it's gonna flow like a torrential stream out of your mouth. You will just hammer somebody with your words. And then finally, answer gently, Proverbs 51, a gentle answer turns away wrath. That one is tough. When somebody pushes your buttons, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, it's hard to not retaliate back. Well, there's one final principle this morning, if you and I are going to tame our tongues, and that is this, avoid the inconsistent use of the tongue. Avoid the inconsistent use of the tongue. We're all inconsistent, James says. Notice, if you will, verses 9 through 12. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father. And that's great. We praise God at church. We praise God at home. We praise God at the grocery store. We praise God in the shower. We praise God in our cars. We praise God as we're walking in the park. But notice what we also do. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the god's likeness. On the one hand we'll praise God, but then we will curse and we will criticize those who are made in his image. Some of you will thank God at church on Sunday and then you'll talk behind people's back. You'll make fun of people. You'll slander people, you'll misrepresent them. You'll go home after praising God and have roasted pastor for lunch. Ha ha. See, we're all guilty of that. And then he notice the inconsistency. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing? Come on, guys, he says. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's the answer? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Or an orange tree produce bananas? No. He says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. There's the inconsistency. On the one hand, we want to praise God and worship God. And remember, James already talked about this in chapter 1. He said, pure and undefiled religion is to look after orphans in their distress, not to be stained by the world, and to bridle your tongue. He says, if you don't bridle your tongue, he says, your religion's worthless. Now, again, we're not going to be perfect at this. But listen, if we go around saying, we praise God, we go to church, and then during the week, all we do is assassinate people. You know what the Bible says? Your religion is worthless. God could care less if you come to church and praise Him. He doesn't receive your worship. I didn't say you had to be perfect, but if you worship God and then you don't care about assassinating people all during the week, it doesn't bother you, God does not receive your worship on Sunday. It's canceled out because God looks at how we treat other people. You say, Mike, I blow it. So do I. You know what you do? If you blow it, you ask the person to forgive you. If you don't say what you should say, sometimes you know what? God wants us to speak up, and we don't speak up at times. We don't. And listen, if you have a problem with someone, here's the right thing to do go to them privately. But you know what? It's easier for us to do gossip about other people. It's so much easier to talk behind people's backs. And listen, this is notorious in the American church. We don't have the guts or the courage to go to that person and say, hey, can we settle this? I have a problem. It's easier to talk to other people. We pick up the phone under the guise of, well, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. Or, here, brother, I need to get your advice. And I get it. Sometimes we struggle. We want to get a second opinion. Am I feeling right? Is this right? But you know what? Sometimes that becomes a means of gossip and slander rather than going to the person. And you know, sometimes the best thing to do is if you've got a person that's hypercritical of people, they're gossiping or slandering, you know what you do to not make it uncomfortable? Just say, hey, let's pray for that person right now. And you know what that does? That shuts it down. But listen, we all struggle with this. I was reading this week about a fisherman who caught a fish with two mouths. There it is. Now, obviously, it was a genetic defect. How many of you would eat that fish if you caught it? How many of you would mount it? (laughs) I would mount it. He ended up eating that fish. It had two mouths. James says, stop the two mouths. We praise God, and then we curse other people made in the image of God. How do we tame our tongues? Well, what has James taught us this morning? Number one, understand that you are accountable to God for your words. That's an incentive. Secondly, remember your tongue is small, but it's powerful. And James gave us six illustrations to show that. Thirdly, seek God's help despite the difficulty of controlling your tongue. You will never get control of it perfectly. You know what? I blow it all the time, but you know what? I have to say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me for that. You know what the Bible says? God's mercies are new every morning. Seek God's help, and then finally, avoid the inconsistent use of your tongue. God, am I being inconsistent? You know, I, I come to church, I worship you, I worship you here, there, there. Lord, am I being really inconsistent when I'm going around saying what I'm saying? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. Thank you for the challenge that James gives us. He doesn't pull any punches. Father, we ask you to forgive us for our tongues. We're all guilty of misusing our words, we're all guilty of saying things that are unkind. On the other hand, Father, thank you for all the good that's going on. Thank you for people that are encouraging. Help us, Lord, to be more encouragers. Help us to build others up to give that timely word. And, Father, I pray that we'd be a church of praise. It's not just the negative. Father, you said that we are to praise you, and I pray that we would be a church of praise. We would honor you. We would worship you with the fruit of our lips. Father, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out this week, be a witness with your words. You got the ABC cards? Use them. Everyone's probably going to go out to eat this week or go somewhere, a convenience store, give somebody that ABC card and say, hey, can I pray for you? That's a great way to plant a seed. Let's be witnesses for Jesus. Let's stand as we close in worship. God bless you, and we'll see you next week as we look into God's Word.